hello, Denya. It's uh, yeah. really good to see you. Um, thank you for, for joining me from Kiev um, and for agreeing to contribute to this series on queer resistance and solidarity. Um, I can see that you're wearing your Pride t-shirt. I don't know if you want to show it to yeah, us on the screen like, and tell us a little bit yeah, about I can, like, it. Show it like this way, maybe, so people will see that. So what does it actually say on the t-shirt? It's, it's saying like Kiev Pride, like the name of the organization. I'm happy to see you wearing that today. And I'm also very happy and relieved, actually, to see that you're safe. Um, but I do know that you have family and friends in the Donbass region, and I know that you're very worried about them. So I don't want to ignore the fact that, um, you know, there's a lot of anxiety at the moment and the um, situation is changing moment by moment on the ground. And although we're going to be focusing very much on queer resistance and solidarity today, that's not to ignore that beyond the queer perspective, there is a whole much bigger perspective in terms yeah, of what's going true. on for people throughout the country. Um, but can we start maybe by introducing ourselves? You know by now I'm Dawn River. I'm a queer academic in the School of Social Policy and Social Work in the College of Social Sciences at the University of Birmingham. So my name is Jenia and uh, I'm a queer activist. I, uh, from 2019, I've been hiring the organization in Donbass helping queer people in Donbass region and like uh, like in 2021 I started working in Kyiv Pride so it's like more global now so me and my team are doing like the annual Kyiv Pride march in, in the center of Kyiv yeah could you um tell us how you identify how would you describe your identity so I identify myself as a non-binary person. So yeah, and as for my pronouns, uh, I use actually like most of them, like he, she, and they at the same time. So there's no way for people to misgender me because they always hide because I'm fine with that. And I think it's important for us to recognize that even whilst the war rages, we are still who we are. We bring our whole selves and the whole of our identity to the experience of war or whatever it, it is that we might be living through. And I'm aware that when we talk about LGBTIQ people, we are all different and we experience life in different ways. So I'd like to start by saying, could you tell us something about the way the war has affected um, life for lgbtiq people in ukraine clearly we recognize within that descriptor there will be gay men lesbian women trans people people who identify as non-binary and queer and each of their experiences may well be different yeah like many things actually changed and like in the first maybe days of the war going there was like a lot of panic maybe people were afraid that they could just occupy Kyiv and other cities. So queer people felt at risk at this moment. And but I wanted to say that like actually queer people mobilize and they are doing all they can to help Ukraine to win this war. Like many people join the army and fighting right now. Many of them are in Donbass right now, protecting my family as well as other families. 
many uh, volunteers, you know, like they have to find money, to, they have to find any like military stuff for the soldiers because like it's kind of lacking right now. So we always have to find some more because yeah, our army is not like that perfect because it, it wasn't used to be this way. It's like we are still in this process of modernizing it. Yeah. And as for the organizations, uh, we were and still are raising money and we are providing as the same as Cave Pride and other NGOs like Inside, Ukraine Pride and many, many other more. Raising money and like helping like people personally, right? giving them money, food, medication, also helping with the hurricane because some of them actually decided to leave the country. Yes, some of them are in Germany now or in Poland or other countries. So it's also important to help them. And also like for those who are escaping war from Donbass or Kharkiv or other cities in the east of Ukraine, we are providing shelters in Lviv, in Chernivtsi, in, in, the, in the west of Ukraine to be more precise, yeah. So we are also like in this moment like fighting in in a different ways maybe but still like we are whole like united as a nation right now you mentioned um medication and also people seeking refuge in other countries and we're aware from the news here that there is an issue of course for trans women who in ukraine are not recognized as women and therefore have not been um allowed to leave the country because the expectation is that the men will remain so um, I don't know if that's a correct assumption or if that's actually the case. Um, and if, you know, what role trans women are maybe playing in Ukraine at the moment? Uh, yeah, like about this issue, I wish like it wasn't, it wasn't happening because it is happening actually in some cases. And like the problem is that some trans women didn't change their, their IDs. So they are not seen as women actually. And yeah, this is the problem but anyway it's not illegal in ukraine to change the id to have this full transition for trans women so those who change that they could actually easily leave the country if they wanted to yeah and like the issue was for that mostly for those who didn't do it like in time so they had to face it and it's, it's actually bad and we have to change it somehow but now it is the war and it's impossible to change any laws right now. But I wish that like in some near future, it will be possible and we will change the situation for the better. And I suppose on the flip side of that, trans men are maybe able to leave the country under the identity of being female still. Yeah, so because of this transphobia and the lack of knowledge, those who are working on the borders, they, yeah, they just like, transphobic to trans women yeah like and they see trans men as women so they don't have any issues with passing them to other countries and in terms of medication that trans people need during you know their transition and beyond how has that been in terms of getting medication into the country or medication uh, generally actually for anything that people may need in the ukraine yeah like i know like, i actually like, didn't like go to the doctors like all around my city but so i know I don't, I don't know like the whole situation but in the first weeks of the war it was it's been really problematic for people to get any medication because 
everyone was trying to buy as much as possible for them. Um, it created some problem. And still, yeah, there has some issues, especially with those that are needed for trans women and trans people in general. And I know that the organizations are also working on it. So they are looking for the medication in Poland or Hungary or any other closest country to us and buying it and like taking to taking it to Ukraine so we can provide people in need with those. And when we think about lesbian, um, there's a, a perception that lesbians are more likely to join the military. Um, so not wanting to make light of this, but do you see that um, lesbians have very much played a role within the military in the Ukraine? I think that like in this in, in this situation it's like mostly equal for everyone, like for any group of people. Because yeah, I also I get this stereotype because yeah, like some lesbians who are seeking this masculinity, yeah, they are going to the army, yeah, like they are fighting. But like in like nowadays in Ukraine, they have like gay men as well fighting and trans people fighting and lesbians fighting like all all who, who were capable of fighting went to war so i was trying to like think about that like in my free time but yeah like i see them like everywhere like mostly like an equal way like 50 and 50. and is that because of the war that there is this solidarity and everybody is coming together to do whatever they can to support the war effort, whether it might be taking up arms and actually fighting, or as you have said, using their queer networks to provide food and shelter, to raise money, to actually contribute as queer activists to the wider society and um, to defending your country. It's like, yeah, like most, most of those who had experience of fighting in Donbass like before the 2022, they joined the army again, even though they were veterans. So they didn't need to go and fight again, but it was their decision and they had this experience. So why not? And those who are not capable of fighting, they are like in Kiev and Lviv and they are helping those who are fighting. So it's again this equality and solidarity between people, the understanding that if you know capable of fighting, you can do whatever you can to help. And it's not about being gay or lesbian or trans, it's just about helping and like building the future for all of us. And it's interesting you say that because do you feel that there is much more understanding of the way LGBTIQ people contribute to society as a whole. Do you think this war, um, or even going back to the invasion in 2013 and what's happened since, has led people in the Ukraine to understand the contribution that LGBTIQ people make? Has it changed the perception of queer people within the Ukraine? Yeah, I think yes, because yeah, like there are still some far some homophobic people, transphobic people who don't get the idea, yeah? And like, they don't accept those people. They don't accept us, I mean. But still, like in 2013, the situation was much different. Like before that, we have the pro-Russian pro dictator Yanukovych, yeah? And he was trying to copycat all the laws from Russia. So, and there was not much knowledge about LGBTQ plus rights. And like, 
any attempt of having some demonstration about human rights or LGBTQ plus community was actually banned or there were some fighting here and problems with the law, with the police and all that stuff. And after the Maidan, yeah. And yeah, like we had some problems like in 2015, for example, but it was the, it's still like we had this freedom to develop all this discourse, all this discussion in public. So more and more people started to <clears throat> visit Price, for example. Like there are, in 2019, there have like six or 7,000 people at the Pride March in Kiev. And yeah, it's changing because like, I even like see now, like we had like some laws that were, that were developing and they had to be accepted in the near future, protecting queer people and also providing some equality and like visibility of them. And also I see now that like many governmental uh, structures uh, also like helping us in this way. Like we have this Ukraine UA account that posts like stories of queer soldiers who used to be like, for example, the queen before the war. And like when the war started, like this guy just went fighting. And there was also like some dancer, he was practicing work and like, now he's also fighting and it's cool that like such accounts having like several millions of subscribers all around ukraine they recognize us and show us in in such way like not just like some minority yeah like some small group of people who are not accepted and like that we are weak and like don't have any rights but as fighters you are also alongside other ukrainians doing their job so that's the sort of historical perspective in a nutshell. I know it's a very complex history and there's so much more you could say, but looking forward, you know, this is a, this is a moment in history that is gonna change you, change Ukraine, change us within Europe, maybe. Well, we can always already see that it's changing the alliances and the way that people are working in solidarity across Europe with the Ukraine and actually globally. Um, what are your hopes for the future for the people of Ukraine and specifically for LGBTIQ people, whether they have remained in Ukraine or sought refuge in other countries? So yeah, like maybe like in the first two weeks of the war, I had some thoughts about that. Like I was kind of afraid of radicalization after the war. Yeah, but like as for now, I actually, see like that I'm hoping that like it's gonna be like the best of the best possible variants actually because the people the queer people are recognized yeah and like I see many activists like and we are discussing all this stuff yeah each other and like they saying like there's no other way as to accept us to give us rights after the war and I'm also like hoping and believing that maybe Ukraine is in some way setting up the trends for the whole Europe that actually we can uh, change and we can change very fast and that we are ready to join all this European family yeah and um, fighting and building the democracy and doing like everything possible to for the people to have normal lives and be equal and yeah and um, we saw, for example, through the Eurovision Song Contest, um, how much support the people 
um, of Europe were giving to Ukrainian people. Solidarity has been an important part of building resistance and fighting for human rights and social justice. And I think within our queer networks, um, what we've shown is that we can build solidarity internationally across our LGBTIQ networks. But what you've pointed out, which is crucial, is that as LGBTIQ people, we also build solidarity with others outside of our networks and um, contribute to society and build um, resistance and solidarity in a way that benefits everybody in terms of their human rights and social justice. And on that point, I would like to just think briefly about the LGBTIQ people in Russia, because we're aware that that has been a source of resistance and uprising in the past within Russia, as queer people have spoken out against social injustice and their lack of human rights. So also thinking about how we build alliances beyond the divisions that this war has created, I wonder if you have any hope for how the queer community might heal some of their divisions in a more progressive and positive um, way. Talking about housing them and the connection to them, like I personally know some queer people from Russia and like we keep in touch still. And unfortunately they had to actually move from Russia to safer places. Some of them even were living in Ukraine and like in live in Ukraine much because they saw future in Ukraine. They were seen like Ukraine having its own path and like doing like all the best. And they were also helping in that. And that's for now I see that actually many queer and not queer activists from Russia who are mostly like not organizations but individuals, yeah. They are doing their best to help Ukrainians to whoever sent to Russia by force. They help them to evacuate to other countries from Russia, like for example, for Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. Yeah. And, and maybe I think, yes, it, it is very important to have some contact with them. And I see that they are actually doing like a lot of work, but as for me now, as for Ukrainian activists, yeah, it's not, it's, for me, it's not the time that I'm ready to talk to them. I see what, what they do, and I'm really appreciate that. And I know some just like ordinary like gay people who are just know the situation and they don't like the situation. But I think maybe like if this collective trauma has to pass away after I'm ready to talk to them, but still they deserve acceptance and support also. But like what I don't like that some activists from Russia are trying to colonize Ukraine in the imperial way as Putin does, because when they're trying to help, they using this narrative of connection, like telling that stating that Belarus, Ukraine and Russia are all the same and that we have the same problems, but we are not because we don't have Putin, we don't have anti like gay propaganda law, we don't have the context of living in Russia. So we are different. And yeah, like maybe we do have some chance to unite with them and to fight together. But like in such, in this situation, it's kind of hard for me as an activist, as a person to say something about that. 
Yeah, and you just highlight um, just how complex the political situation actually is. Um, so to end on a positive note, really, if we can take any positives from such um, a traumatic situation, you've talked about collective trauma. But I think wanting to acknowledge and recognize the, the, the resilience, the resistance, the solidarity that you and the people of Ukraine are showing to each other and um, how that is um, helping you to believe in a more positive and hopeful future um, has been incredible to, to, to bear witness to. Yeah, actually, I wanted to add that also like is positive like ending to the conversation that I really like appreciate the fact that actually many people are now united in some other like maybe not that near future we are all the, will be united like I mean here the world like all the people of any continent will be doing this stuff they will be equal and yeah thank you so I wish you all the very best and um I look forward to other conversations about resistance and solidarity. I think keeping the conversations alive and thinking about the ways that we can work together um, um, to defend human rights and um, to support social justice. Mm -hmm.